You know, I just want to put a little push on the Christmas Eve service. We haven't done one. Um, when was the last time? 2014, 2015, I think it was. Yeah, we haven't done one in five or six years. And, um, you know, I know things are busy and uh, um, we get, you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve, everything is, is crazy around those times. But you know, it, there's something special when you take a break and, and remember why uh, we're celebrating Christmas in the first place. Um, it's not just about the gifts. It's not just about uh, getting together with family. It's not about any of that. It's, it's beyond that. It's about um, Jesus. And um, as we were preparing this, um, we purposefully scheduled it a little later. We went to 8. Uh, originally, we were talking about doing even later than that, but for some of us, that's, that's kind of pushing it. 8 o'clock is getting close to a midnight service for us um, as far as, as timing goes. But we wanted this to be different than what we've done in the past. And in the past, we've kind of done, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, and, and we kind of went back a bit. And the, the service we, we planned uh, for Christmas Eve, which I'm really excited about, um, kind of goes back to some traditional roots of what a Christmas Eve service uh, used to be um, um, 100, 150 years ago. And we've tried to take some of those elements and contemporize uh, them. Um, and modernize them a bit and vineyardize them a bit. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It should be um, an exciting time. It should be a fun um, experience. And it should be, um, I'm hoping, the beginning of a tradition uh, that we set for our church. Um, and, and here's the thing about Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a service that people um, who don't normally go to church are willing to go to church for. Uh, especially, you know, the service we're doing now uh, it, it's what they call a lessons and carol service if you've uh, got any high church um, blood running through your veins. Uh, it's, it's, there's no preaching. I don't preach. Um, this is just scripture and carols. And it's, it's a beautiful service when it's all said and done. We'll do the candles at the end um, like we like to do and hopefully not burn the church down. Um, and it should be a lot of fun. But this is a service that people go to who don't normally go to church. They're willing to come to something like this. Um, and so this is an opportunity to invite friends, invite family uh, to come. And, and, you know, really that's something that, that, that we should be doing. Uh, this is an outreach kind of service without necessarily being an outreach. Um, it's something that people get to experience the church. And yeah, we're doing some fun stuff afterwards with the ice cream and the hot cocoa and all that. But, but really the opportunity is to get people in God's presence and hear his word, and that's going to happen. Um, and so I just encourage you. Come. We, we invite everyone uh, from our church to please come, but also invite people. I remember um, one of the first Christmas Eve services we did, it was back in the old bowling alley, and it was a weird Christmas Eve because most of the normal people who came to our church were out of town, and that's something about DeKalb. DeKalb always seems to be a place people leave during the holidays they don't necessarily go to during the holidays. Um, but, but there weren't a whole lot of people from our church that were going to be there, but we were going to do it anyways. And we ended up almost filling the room, and it was all visitors. It was amazing. There were like five or six families who came who'd never been to our church or had like weak connections to our church, and they brought family members and other people, and the place was packed, and it was just weird. And I remember we were running around 
like chickens with their heads cut off because we had all these new people who assumed that everybody else was a normal member of the church, and they weren't. It was just visitor upon visitor upon visitor. And we had this incredible service, and the presence of the Lord showed up, and it was simple, and it was beautiful. And that's what can happen on Christmas Eve. And so I just want to invite everyone. Come, invite people. Invite friends. Invite the people who you wouldn't normally invite to church on a Sunday morning. They'll come on Christmas Eve. Especially if you say, oh yeah, we're going to sing carols, we're going to have candlelight, and we're going to have ice cream and cocoa. Just invite them. It should be a really good time and a lot of fun. Um, Over the past couple of weeks, we have been on an Advent journey. We have been uh, working our way through uh, the book of Isaiah and looking at the Christmas passages within Isaiah and looking at the promises um, of God regarding Jesus uh, through the prophet Isaiah. And, and as we looked at this, we need to remember what the backdrop is of, of, this, of these prophecies. And it's the impending threat of the Assyrian army. Uh, Assyria is, is gaining strength. They're on the verge of invading Israel. And if Israel falls, they're on the verge of uh, invading Judah as well. And in the midst of that threat, God begins to speak to Judah a word of hope, a word about a future king, a word about the Messiah. And if you remember last week, uh, we, we read that passage that opens up, that opens up with, uh, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. And, and I don't know if you remember, but last week I mentioned how sometimes when we're in Isaiah, Isaiah is like looking through the lens of a camera. And he usually starts out with a wide shot and then begins to zoom that camera in for us and, and zoom it in into what he's trying to get to. And so last week he began to zoom it in and he gave us some of the characteristics of what the Messiah would look like. And we saw that in Isaiah 9, uh, starting at the end of uh, verse 6. He said, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And what's interesting, if you hear that, and if you were here when we started this morning, you know, we read a bit of Luke every morning uh, during Advent to light one of the um, Advent um, candles. And and today's reading was the story of the birth of John. And, and John is born, and they ask, you know, what, what, at a circumcision, what will you name this child? And they say, we will name him John. And they say, you can't name him John. You have no family named John. And Zechariah says, no, we will name him John. And then uh, Zechariah's mouth opens up. His lips are loosed, loosed. And he begins to prophesy. And what does he prophesy? He prophesies this. Lord, you promised, and this will be the fulfillment of the promise that you made to your to David, the, the fulfillment of, of, of all of those promises. That was the expectation that Zechariah had, and it came straight out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, from last week. This week, uh, Isaiah is going to zoom in even more. He's going to get into a little bit more details on, on what, what the Messiah will look like, what his kingdom will look like. So if you have a Bible... We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 11. Open them up. We skip chapter 10. Chapter 10 is a prophecy uh, against Assyria. 
uh, it opens up with this boast of Assyria about how great they are, how much they were able to do in their own strength. And and God responds to that by saying uh, he's going to deal with that pride. He's going to strip that pride away from Assyria. What what they have done to others, uh, others will do to them. And at the end of that piece, you still have this question. Assyria is going to be dealt with, but but Israel will be scattered prior to that. And and Judah still is going to be taken uh, into exile, into Babylon at some point. Uh, Assyria will be dealt with, yes, but is it going to be too late for Israel and Judah? Will God's judgment through Assyria of Israel, will God's judgment of Judah later through Babylon, will it, will it destroy them? Is hope gone? Is all lost? You know, we can get that sense of hopelessness. We see the events that are occurring around us, even now. Even now. You know, I... I we're going to be going on a, our family's taking a vacation in, in January. Uh, we planned this last Christmas and we said, you know, by next year, we'll be back to normal. You know, the, the, the vaccines will be out, things will calm down, we'll be back to normal by next year. That was our, our hope last Christmas. And so we booked a vacation for us all to go, all, uh, all my kids, my, my son-in-law, all to go on a vacation somewhere. And now we're hearing stories that things are are cranking up again. The the Netherlands have have shut down. In the back of my mind, I'm starting to think, oh great, we just just planned this vacation. Are we even going to be able to take this vacation? And and as we see everything bubbling up again, as we see the chaos around us, we we begin to look at us and we say, you know, what, what do we do? And this sense of hopelessness so easily takes over, so easily comes to our doorstep. And I wonder about this Christmas. You know, last Christmas we thought we just got to get through it and it'll be better, and now this Christmas it feels like, are we repeating again? Where is the hope? Where is the light? That's what Judah's thinking. And in the midst of all that destruction, in the midst of all of that chaos, of all that uncertainty, God makes a promise of hope to them. And it starts in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Let's pray real quick. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence with us this morning. Lord, come and speak to us through your word. Lord, we know that, that your word brings life. And as we're on this Christmas journey, as we're looking forward uh, to Christmas next week, Lord, we know that in the midst of of everything, in the midst of all the confusion, uh, you bring life. You bring hope. So, Lord, let us experience that hope today. Come and speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds. Speak to our spirits, Lord. Bring life. Bring hope. Bring peace. We welcome you in this place, Lord Jesus. We say, come. Come, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. This opens up with an interesting picture. 
the stump of Jesse. We had a big tree um, in our parkway that this year uh, didn't bloom. It was dead this year in spring. Nothing came out of it. It was just dead branches. And since it was in the parkway, uh, being the good homeowner that I am, realized that that's the city's problem, that's not my problem to cut it down, so I just ignored it for the year with the hope that the city would show up at some point and chop that dead tree down. And lo and behold, last week they did. Um, I was working out of the house, and all of a sudden I heard chainsaws, and I'm like, what the? And I looked out the window, and there's the public works department. They're cutting down the dead tree. And the guy knocked on my door, and he said, hey, I've been staring at this thing all year, and we finally got a new manager, and he said, get rid of the dead trees. And I'm like, praise God, get rid of the dead tree. And he cut the whole thing down, and he said, you know, we don't have enough of them yet, but come spring or summer, we'll have enough stumps. We'll get a stump remover, and so just deal, can you deal with the stump until, through the winter? And I'm like, yeah, no problem, leave the stump. And so you go out to our, our parkway in front of our house, uh, and if you don't know what the parkway is, it's the area between the sidewalk and the street. That's the city's responsibility, and anywhere back is mine. Uh, if you walk, if you go out there, you'll notice there's this stump, and there's this huge... Um, missing thing in our yard. It, it looks weird. There used to be a tree there, and it's not there anymore. It's gone. It's just this little dead thing in the ground. And that's the picture that, that Isaiah is painting, the stump of Jesse, where there was life, where there was hope, where there was this tree. It's now a stump. It's dead. There's nothing there. I've got another stump in my yard. It's been there for years. And what's interesting is as the kids cut the grass, they go over the stump, and every year they go over the stump, and it dis disintegrates even more and more. So today, you can barely even tell there was a stump there. It's now just, just broken up pieces of wood waiting for the ground to take it over. That's the picture. Where there was life, where there was hope, where there was a nation, there is nothing. There's a stump. There's death. And if you know anything about stumps, things don't grow out of stumps. If the tree is dead, it's dead. But Isaiah paints this picture, something that is completely dead, yet in the midst of that death, God is going to bring life. The, the picture of the stump of Jesse, this is multiple images happening here. A dead people, a dead nation, a dead kingdom. This is the picture of the future for Israel at this time and Judah at this time, that they will be scattered, that they will be taken into exile, that there won't be anything left. But as, as, they, as what appears in the natural, that it's dead, that it's gone, God is about to do something. God's about to spring life out of what was gone. Out of what was lost, God is about to restore. Out of what was hopeless, God is about to bring hope. A Messiah, a ruler is to come, and he's going to bring life. He's going to bring hope. He's going to bring a kingdom. So what does that kingdom look like? Verse 2. This is the picture of that that's coming. This, the shoot that will come. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. There's an interesting uh, bit of imagery here, and I don't know if you, you catch that or not, but, but uh, 
Isaiah paints seven spirits here at the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Seven spirits will be upon him. Does that echo to anything that you might remember? Revelations. There's a picture in Revelations chapter 4. If I can find Revelation. Revelations chapter 4 and verse 5. John says, uh, this picture of the throne room of God, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. This is the picture that that Isaiah is painting that that John later will echo, this picture of the seven spirits of God that are are part of the kingdom of God. And, And that rule, it defines it. The Spirit of the Lord will be upon it, the fullness of God. What what called all creation, what held it all together, will be upon him. So not just a normal king, but, but the full Spirit of God will be upon him. And he will have the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, a Spirit covering the entirety of intellectual life, entirety of our minds. This picture of wisdom, the ability to discern the nature of things, to understand things completely, of understanding the ability to discern the differences between things. A spirit of counsel and might covering our practical lives, our everyday ordinary lives. The Spirit of God will be upon him for that. And counsel, uh, the idea of forming right conclusions, might, the ability to carry out those conclusions. And finally, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Uh, a spirit covering our relationship to God, our spiritual life, uh, the knowledge of God, our relationship of God, experiencing the love of God, and finally, the fear of God. Our reverence of him. Isaiah paints this picture of the one that is coming will basically have authority and understanding over every aspect of creation, over every aspect of our lives. This is all-encompassing. There's something interesting to think about. Over the last two weeks, there's been a general thread that has kind of gone through all of these, and it's been a question. Who do we trust? Who do we place our trust in? And Isaiah is beginning to paint this picture that the coming Messiah, that Jesus is supposed to be Lord over every aspect of our life, over our minds, over our lives, over our spirits, over every aspect. He has authority. But the thing is, it doesn't just end with understanding, but through that understanding comes something else. Isaiah 11, 3b He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist." We start with this picture of a kingdom understanding, and now we get a picture of kingdom judgment. Now, now we normally don't like that word, judgment. Kind of freaks us out a bit. And think about what the role of a king is. 
Think about back to, to, to the first Kings when we see the picture of Solomon sitting in his throne. And, and what does he pray? He prays for wisdom to make sound decisions. And what do we see at his throne? People come to him for judgment, come to him for decisions. Remember the story of the, the two women arguing about whose baby this is? And Solomon's wisdom, he says, cut it in half. And the woman who says, fine, let the baby live. That's the true mother. That's the role of a king is to make decisions. That's the role of modern-day politicians to, to make decisions. And this picture of this king is he's to act as a judge to determine what's right and wrong. But when we hear that, we, we get concerned because we understand that in our modern-day context, in the world around us, in our understanding even through history, we realize that kings and politicians, they can easily be corrupted, Right? Their motivations are never pure. Their motivations are usually uh, dictated by what benefits them. Usually politically, sometimes financially, sometimes to increase their power. Our modern day uh, decision makers are usually easily swayed by position, wealth, or, or sometimes just a good argument by a lawyer. But here there's supposed to be a difference. Isaiah's point, a time of judgment is coming, but through that judgment there will be justice because that judgment will be driven by righteousness. Remember how we opened this up, the seven spirits of God will be upon him, giving him understanding, giving him wisdom, and that wisdom and understanding is driven through righteousness. So when he makes decisions, they will be righteous decisions. Now, it gets interesting here because he talks about the poor. But with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And we hear that word and we think poor as in like financially lacking. That's always our, in our modern contents, our understanding of the poor is always that someone who is lacking financially. That's not necessarily what the Bible defines the poor as. The poor, usually in the Bible, are those that are disenfranchised, those who do not have rights, those are who are held down. The wicked are those who do the disenfranchising. They take advantage of the poor. So being poor in the Bible does not necessarily mean that you lack means, that you're starving, that you're homeless. What it means is that you're in a place uh, where you lack rights, where you're being disenfranchised, where you're being taken advantage of. And the picture here is that the Lord, that, that the Messiah that will come will bring justice to those who are being disenfranchised. He will, he will bring uh, judgment to the wicked, but will bring justice to the dis those who are being disenfranchised. When the Messiah comes, he will focus on those that the world usually pushes aside. Now, through all of that will come peace. Isaiah 11, 5 through 9. 
Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw with the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When we think of peace, we normally think of peace as this idea of something where there's a lack of conflict, right? If there's not like fighting going on, then that's what peace is. Peace is where war is not happening, where there's no conflict happening. But, but let's think about that for a sec. Have you ever been in a situation where there's no visible conflict happening, but it sure doesn't feel like peace? I have four kids. They're all in their 20s right now. And, and at one time or another, it always seems like one of them's upset with another one. And when they get upset with each other, sometimes there is war, there is conflict. They scream, they yell at each other. But not usually. Usually what happens is they sit quietly and ignore one another or not respond to one another. They, they hold grudges and you can feel it when it's occurring. You can feel it. And, and, you know, if you're on the outside looking in, you might not notice anything because no one's screaming, no one's fighting, no one's hitting. They did that when they were younger. As parents, we can feel it. We know it. Guys, have you ever been in a situation when your spouse is not happy with you but has never told you that? Or vice versa, I'm assuming it works the other way. Is that peace? No. You know, I grew up uh, at the time during the Cold War, right? What was a Cold War? It meant that two nations were fighting with each other, but they weren't necessarily fighting with each other. And it was a stressful time period when I was younger. You know, in, in the 70s and early 80s, and certain points in the 80s, we were positive that at any moment we were going to nuke one another. We were positive of it. See, peace does not mean lack of conflict. Peace means something else, especially in this context. Or context. What, what Isaiah is talking about is when the peace of the Lord comes, there will be a complete change of character. Notice the picture here. Things that were mortal enemies of each other are now sleeping together. Bears and lions grazing. Lions not eating meat. Bears not eating meat. They're eating straw. This is a picture of complete transformation, of society being transformed. This doesn't mean that when it says, you know, an infant will play near the cobra's desk, will put his hand in the viper's nest and not get stung. This doesn't mean that, you know, we need to get like snakes up here and, and do all. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is, is society, the world, everything around us becomes transformed becomes uh, how it's supposed to look, what it's supposed to be. And all of this comes from the kingdom, from an understanding, from the kingdom understanding, from kingdom judgment, from kingdom justice. The fruit of all that is peace for all of creation, not just Israel and Judah, but the entirety of creation experiences the peace of the Lord. 
You know, we, we have a saying here about you know, ordinary people changing the world one life at a time. And, and you hear that, and you hear that phrase, changing the world, and I've been struggling with that phrase over the last two years because it's taking on a new connotation uh, with the rest of the church and what that means. And, and sometimes we think, we're, oh, if we're going to change the world, we have to change it by force. We have to change it politically. We have to do things. Picture here is that when the kingdom is present, when the kingdom is in its fullness, when the kingdom is pouring out, when we're living in that righteousness, when we're living in that kingdom understanding, when we're living in that kingdom justice and judgment, when we experience that kingdom peace, everything around us transforms. And that's our hope. That's our hope. When we say that, that Jesus is changing the world one life at a time, what we mean by that is that, that when you come, Jesus welcomes you as you are, but as you experience that kingdom understanding, that kingdom transformation, that kingdom justice, that kingdom judgment, whatever, when you experience it, it transforms you into who you were meant to be. That's our hope. That's our understanding. And that's what we look forward to living in that kingdom understanding, that kingdom justice, that kingdom peace. These are the calling cards of the kingdom. And sometimes I think we just make this into like simple academic exercises, right? We read this, we break it down, we point to the other areas of Scripture where this is in. We say, oh, look, Jesus did kind of some of this stuff, right? When he, you know, he yelled at those who were taking advantage of people, he welcomed those who, 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 were, uh, who were being... Uh, disenfranchised to those who were experiencing injustice. He welcomed the poor to him. Isn't that cool? Isaiah pointed that out. And then we go home. And we get back to our everyday world. But Jesus did more than just talk about it. When he came, he did it. He announced the kingdom was here, and he brought that understanding, he brought that justice, and he brought that peace. And for those of us living on this side of Christmas, these are the same calling cards that should be present in our lives. When we say, come Holy Spirit, it's not just that we have this, exp this expectation of some Holy Spirit power moment, like whammo, the gifts are going to pour out, we're going to have a party. When we say, come Holy Spirit, the understanding is that the kingdom of God is about to pour in. And through that comes kingdom understanding, kingdom wisdom, kingdom judgment, kingdom justice, and kingdom peace. God's understanding and authority over everything. That's what we're calling out for. When we say, come Holy Spirit, when we say, Lord, send your kingdom, we're calling out for righteousness for those who have been disenfranchised, for judgment upon the wicked. We're calling for transformation to come to our lives and to the world around us. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That's our call. Not just to experience some cool stuff in a service, but to see more than that to see it filled. We're calling out for kingdom understanding. That we bring wisdom to every aspect of our life. Kingdom judgment, that we bring righteousness for the disenfranchised and for peace, for the impossible to come. This isn't about head knowledge. This isn't just about the future. This is about bringing the kingdom to our present. 
And here's the thing. If the kingdom of God is within you, as we say it is, then wherever you go, whatever situation is, you're bringing that with you to that situation. You're bringing understanding, kingdom understanding. You're bringing kingdom justice and kingdom peace to every situation you're in. Jesus wants you to bring the kingdom solutions to everything you do. Kingdom solutions to your work. Kingdom solutions to our society. Kingdom solutions to your life. But to do that, we need to invite Jesus into those places, into those situations. And for many of us, We're like King Ahaz at the beginning of this series. Remember that from two weeks ago? Isaiah came to him and said, don't worry about these nations that are attacking you. God's got a plan. And Ahaz said, yeah, that's nice. I've got a plan. I'd rather do it my way. We're okay with Jesus in some of our lives, but we want... We're, we're a lot more comfortable controlling the other parts. We've got a plan. We can do this. And Jesus, just stay on Sunday morning. Stay in your lane. we got the rest of this. See, but asking Jesus to bring kingdom solutions into every aspect of our lives means that we need to stop at times. We need to pray at times, and we need to wait. I can't do that, Joe. That's weird. Is it? Is it? How hard is it to take a moment at work and to say, okay, Lord, what's your solution for this? What's your solution for this? I know we're trying to figure out what the solution is, but what is your solution for this? He's faithful. If we trust him, he will give us that. That's the promise here. And that's the call that's on us this Christmas season. See, as the world seems to be spinning and spinning, uh, truth be told, so are many of us. We're still spinning and spinning and trying to figure out how to figure this all out. We're depending upon our own understanding to help us out. We're doing our own research. We're doing our own this. We're doing our own that. We'll figure it out. We bring our own wisdom to the table. But perhaps this Christmas, instead of doing that, it's time to lean on Jesus. To invite him to bring his kingdom into our life. His kingdom understanding into our life. His kingdom justice into our life. His kingdom peace into our life. That's kind of radically changed. You know, I'm still, I'm still brought back to Isaiah, what was it, 8? And Isaiah looks at Ahaz and says, ask God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, I won't trouble God with that. And what does Isaiah say? I'll show you a sign. The virgin will be with child. See, Christmas is that sign. Christmas is that sign to us that the kingdom, that, that God's reign and rule is here and now. 
Christmas is that sign that Jesus wants to bring that kingdom into our everyday ordinary lives. That Jesus wants to give us that kingdom understanding, that kingdom wisdom. That Jesus wants to bring kingdom judgment and kingdom justice through us to the world. And that Jesus' hope is not just to save a couple people to get them to heaven, but he wants to bring kingdom peace in such a way where the entire world around us is transformed. Not by what we do, but by what he does. Jesus is that sign that opened up this whole discussion. So as we move towards Christmas, as, as next Saturday we celebrate Christmas, maybe it's time for us to step back for a moment. As we're handing out gifts, as we're preparing meals, as we're doing everything, as we're doing all the busy stuff, maybe it's time for us to step back for a moment and just simply ask, Lord, where's your kingdom? Lord, bring me your kingdom in my life. Let your kingdom not only be in my life, but pour out of my life. Lord, let me be the conduit as you pour your kingdom wisdom and understanding into my life. Lord, I just invite you to bring that in all the situations of my life. Lord, as you bring kingdom judgment into my life, let me bring your righteousness, your justice to others in my life. And Lord, through the midst of all that, let your peace, let your transformation, your transforming power begin to transform my life into what I was designed to be. But not only just me, but let that affect those around See, Isaiah, looking at you right now and saying, ask the Lord for a sign. That's the sign. Jesus is that sign. And when we invite him into every aspect of our life, into all the areas of our life, we begin to experience the fullness of that sign. That's the promise of Christmas. That in that that was dead is now life. That which was hopeless, there is now hope. The shoot will come. Something so tiny will come, but it will be so great that one day it will transform. That's the promise. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for this journey through Isaiah that we've been on these past three weeks. Lord, I know that at times it's been a difficult journey. Lord, I know that, that sometimes uh, digging into the prophets can make us uncomfortable. But Lord, that's, that's why they're there, to make us uncomfortable. So Lord, I pray, as we head this final week towards Christmas, Lord, as we uh, celebrate the birth of your Son on Saturday, Lord, let your kingdom come into this church. 
Lord, let your kingdom come into our lives. Father, we pray, uh, Lord, as there is a spirit of confusion that seems to be rampant over our nation and over our world right now, Father, we pray for kingdom wisdom and kingdom understanding to come into our lives. Lord, allow us to hear from you and to be guided by you. Not by our own understanding, not by understanding of others, Lord, but by your understanding, by, by the perfect understanding of the kingdom, Lord. And Lord, as the world system just seems to be situated on, on uh, winner takes all, Lord, where it seems to be situated on whoever has the most wins, or, or whoever has the most at the end wins, Lord. Uh, Father, allow your justice just to come into our lives. Lord, bring judgment into the areas of our lives where, where we are the disenfranchiser. Franchiser. Lord, bring judgment into our lives where we are. We are treating people with injustice. And Lord, let justice flow out of this church. Let kingdom justice flow out of this church. Lord, transform our lives. Transform our priorities away from that of the world to those of yours. So that we can walk in justice and righteousness. And Father, through all of that, we just ask for your kingdom peace to come out and pour into our lives. Lord, bring transformation into our lives. Lord, as we walk forward, allow us to bring your transformation to the world around us. Thank you, Lord. Lord, allow this Christmas season not just to be another Christmas, but let this be the season where we fully experience your kingdom in our lives. And thank you, Lord. We say, come, Lord Jesus. If you need prayer for anything this week, I just want to invite you to come up and get prayer. We would love to pray for you. The presence of the Lord is here this morning. And he wants to do something. Otherwise, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Have a wonderful week. I hope to see you all on Christmas Eve. Otherwise, have a Merry Christmas. We will be here on the 26th. We'll see you then. Be blessed. Amen.